Welcome to the 13th episode of After the Split. And for those of you that don't already know, this is the deep dive interview show going to the lives of speedrunners. Thank you to everyone who reached out recently. I'll be getting into contact with a lot of you for future episodes, so just wait out for that. As always, you can check this out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or live first on my Twitch channel. Just want to give a quick thank you to everyone who subscribed on YouTube, actually. We just got our custom URL, which is youtube.com slash gaffytaffy. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Welcome, Sable Dragon Rook, who's the legendary runner of The Last Guardian in the console Spyro Reignited trilogy. I know I kind of said I was going to step away from Spyro a little bit, but this is a little bit different. So you can also be found playing games such as The Pathless, Ico, and a few others. But instead of me butchering it, I would you like to introduce yourself? For sure. Thanks for having me. Um, as you said, I'm Sable Dragon Rook. You can call me Sable. And yeah, I'm a variety speedrunner, so I do a ton of games. Uh, sometimes, you know, you won't see one for a month or two and then it'll just resurface because that's what I feel like at the time. So that might be like inside, air. I really love artsy games, so I tend to gravitate toward those. And as per The Last Guardian and Pathless and Eco, I suppose, um, I'm kind of a sucker for games that have an AI companion. That's that's primarily what you'll you'll see me playing. Which seeing that seems like a a bit of a pain in running sometimes for sure. I definitely think it takes a certain kind of person to enjoy that kind <laughs> of speed run, you know? For sure. And congrats by the way. Uh I I actually found you through CJ. So congrats on your double sure. entries into SDAT. Thank you. I'm you very the, excited. Uh, that like announcement of the schedule video. I thought it was great. Yeah, that's something I've never seen before, and I hope more mm -hmm. people do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What uh, what are you entering into Speed Docathon? So, Last Guardian is in, which I'm very happy about because it's a great game, but it's, it is three and a half hours, and it's uh, me guiding a giant fluffy weasel bird chicken thing yeah i guess three and a half hours what, what is trico as an animal yeah he's, kind of bird, he's many kind of animals mm -hmm. and so i get why it doesn't always get into marathons so i'm definitely really happy to be showing that off and then inside that i mentioned earlier which again don't get to show that off too often i'm inclined to think because the category that i run all deaths is perhaps a little <laughs> morbid for a lot of thoughts i like that Mm -hmm. I was very surprised. It got into, I don't remember if it was Midwest Speedfest or NASA, but it got into one of them and their charity was Save the Kids. Oh, It's no. literally a category about murdering kid this kid as much as possible. possible. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, are you sure about mm. this? Did you say anything to him? It's like, yeah, no, nobody's going to put that together. It's fine. I did. I was like, are you sure about this? Like John Cena vine. <laughs> and uh, they were like, oh, yeah, no, it's it's fine. Okay. That's so perfect. Uh, a little bit about yourself. So what is kind of your name, how, the origin of your name? So that's actually a good question because I never really gave it much thought. Um, maybe it's a cliche story of like, oh, I never had any friends as a kid. Or whatever, but I was I was pretty much a loner 
when I was a kid, and so I had imaginary friends. And I'm I'm talking like you know six seven years old. I had mm-hmm. imaginary friends, and this makes me seem like a nerd. We're all which nerds. Is probably We're on why Twitch I... playing video games <laughs> as much as possible. Probably why I went into linguistics. Um, I've always been really good with words. I was reading like Dragonlance books that are like 400 pages long in like second grade. Oh wow! So my imaginary friend was a black dragon named Rook, which is a word for like a, a crow, which is a, a blackbird, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the word sable can also mean black, so it's just black dragon Rook oh. is my name. Oh, okay. So yeah, maybe. Don't know it's why I... I chose that. I'm you not know, a linguist. I did not know what a rook was. Yeah, it's actually, I think it's a raven, not a crow, but a, a big black bird in any case. It's, it's also kind of like hung the... on to it, though. Give you a little yeah. nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's also the the term for the chess piece, right? Oh, yeah, I guess. Now, I'm sure, and I, I'll just get it out here now, the, the big celebrities of the Sable Dragon stream... Would have to probably be the lizards. Always. How many of them do you have? Um, one, two. Because it's like a whole zoo over there. Five lizards, two snakes, currently. But literally, as you were hitting start on this recording, I was messaging somebody to get more. So. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, because I have two prehensile tailed skinks. And we're fairly certain now that both of them are boys, which means at some fi- in some point, unfortunately, they're going to start fighting. Oh, just kind of by their nature, and, they do that? Yeah. So they're going to need lady friends. And I'm like, oh, shucks, they need lady they friends. They need a good woman to calm them down. <laughs> so that- they'll, they'll split into their own. It's called a circulus, uh, a community group, where each boy really? has one to two girls so that they don't fight. That's nuts. I, I didn't know that. So who is, because you're married, right? Yes. Is it, is your husband okay with getting this many? Is he just as psyched about as you are? He's generally just as psyched. He's a little bit more pragmatic, a little bit more, okay, what outlet are you going to plug that into? Because you've (laughs) taken all the outlets. Yeah. You know, but he told me, and I, I have a screenshot. He said, you can have as many reptiles as you can fit on our electric grid. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, and obviously he gets input on, on what we get. Mm-hmm. So, he loves them. He talks to them all day. And probably a solid 10% of our day is just creepily staring into their enclosures and being like, hi, buddy. Oh, how you doing, buddy? You, you might know, as well enjoy just... it, right? Yeah. It is like, often people are like, yeah, you know, I could maybe go for a cat or a dog or something like that. Is it just because, like, your childhood growing up and stuff, you're like, I like reptiles. Yeah, I, I've always liked reptiles, but I could never have them. I, I had a tiny little lizard when I was very small because my mom caved and let me get one. But throughout college, throughout, you know, the first little bit of my adult life, I couldn't have them because apartments, you know. Yeah, the... The struggle. Yeah, so I was very happy to finally move into a house and be like, hey, I make the rules. Snake time. Do you have any, like, mutuals and stuff that are afraid of them? Or typically yeah. is it like, oh, everybody just knows? Yeah, I, um, the maid of honor at my wedding is 
terrified of <laughs> anything that has scales. But I take I it offered... she didn't walk Mort down the aisle? <laughs> she did not. But I offered to put Mort on her lap. She's like, eh, I, I'm good. But, you know, being here and just seeing them and seeing me just walk around holding Mort like an ice cream cone <laughs> made her feel better. And I would like to think that in some small way, my streams do that, too. Like, that's that's like 5% of why I stream with the reptiles. It definitely it has, like, that window shopping. It feels like, oh, wow, this is different. This is unique. I love to see it. Yeah, like, people look at Mort on cam, and they're like, okay, I'll give him a blueberry. And then he eats a blueberry, and suddenly they're like, oh, this is just a cute little animal that I can give treats to, instead of, oh, this is a horrifying slimy thing that <laughs> I don't like, you know? It's made some people feel better. I definitely want to say thank you for having the channel point thing, especially for so cheap. <laughs> like, it's kind of been a tradition for me, or mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know the right word for it, a scheduled thing. I, but I'll like wake up, I have my coffee, I'm multitasking, and just being able to give a little blueberry to Mort or something, it's just like, oh my god, yeah. this is incredible. I had, I had to make him a little more expensive because he's getting kind of chunky. <laughs> That's what I figure. Like, <laughs> I, I told people about him, like, it's so cheap too. I don't understand. Like, you would think this lizard would be 500 pounds for only 300 <laughs> channel points. You get that in a day. Yeah. I love uh, the, all their names, by the way. Just kind of, so they all have pop Mort. culture references. Yeah. We try to be clever. In, in their names, except for Bagel. Her name doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, but Mort's name isn't Mort, it's Artorius. But nobody knows that anymore. They knew that at like the inception of my channel mm -hmm. when I still called him like Artie. How did but it kind of evolve into Mort, by the way? Because he does. Okay, Artorius, Dark Souls, right? Yeah. He's, he's super cool. And when we got Mort as a baby, we thought that he had a problem with one of his arms mm -hmm. and wasn't going to be able to use it correctly. And I was like, oh, you know, his tongue's the same color as Artorius's cloak. He's got kind of a weird arm. Perfect. Artorius. Um, and he was also very timid. And I was like, I don't want him to be timid. I want him to be brave like Artorius. Mm -hmm. Now you look at him and he, he is braver and his arm's fine. You look at him and you're like, you're just not Nartorius, buddy. Like you're just, <laughs> you're just a big old chunk. <laughs> and so, it didn't look right. And so it went from Artorius to Artie, Marty to Morty to Mort. Marty. Yeah. yeah that's that's where the big jump is. Like, <laughs> well, part of it comes from just how my husband and I talk to each other. We're basically unintelligible to anyone else. <laughs> That's so funny, like, especially since you're a linguist and you kind of have to do a bunch of editing. You think, like, oh, it's very prim and proper English, and then to just kind of evolve it. It's fascinating, because it's... I can talk to my husband, you know? Mm hmm And it can be like, hey, you want to go to Wengarblers? And I totally understand. Uh, to that's, what? that's Yeah, it's want to go to Wendy's for a hamburger. Ah. What is what that is. There are rules. It sounds like complete nonsense, but linguistically, like, there are rules still, and that's how we understand each other, because we follow unspoken rules. As a linguist, that just makes me, like, super happy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it works for you, I guess, then why not? Mm-hmm. 
See, you're the kind of person because always if you're like, oh, how do you make up a word? You'd be someone that's like, yeah, I could do that. Do that. My husband is so great at that. He speaks entirely in made up words and I, I get it right about 85% of the time. That's a good percentage. <laughs> I, I actually just finished playing Dark Souls like two days ago and I'm thankful that I, I chose to do it on stream instead of just private. Cause like I wouldn't have got any of the lore stuff. So to hear like about Artorias mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and then Sif, oh my god, everybody lost Such their minds when games. Sif happened. I'm so thankful that Dark Souls was like it's weird to say, but like my gateway to my husband. Oh really? I had never played Dark Souls before I met him, mm -hmm. and that was what we did together. We. Well, okay, the very first thing we did together in video games was I beat the final boss of Drakengard for him because he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's and he wanted right a complete there. save file. Hey, that's a hard boss. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we started playing Dark Souls. We started with Dark Souls 3, which wasn't, I guess, the right choice, but he had played all of them. I hadn't. And so we sat down and we played them together. And just doing all of that hard stuff, because obviously Dark Souls is hard. Mm -hmm that together helped us learn about each other when we were first you know dating it was a great bonding experience and i have a picture of artorias and sif that i'm looking at right now of my tv uh, i made him a painting of the four knights of gwyn and at our wedding our unity ceremony was lighting a bonfire really <gasps> yeah oh my god that would be so cool because your unity ceremony is supposed to be the thing where you, like, say that you're working together, right? Mm -hmm. And a bonfire is a place of safety where monsters can't enter. And every time you mess up, come back to it and start over. That's that actually, that like, is really beautiful. Right? I I was very happy. And we still have the... The bonfire sword that I've been meaning to hang up on the wall. You get like a, a like heavy duty a real sword. I wish it's too expensive to get like a full metal one. Kind of what I figured, but you never know. Weddings can kind of be outrageous sometimes. Maybe, yeah, maybe for like our twenty year anniversary or something. Oh, <laughs> we nice. Can, we can upgrade to the fully metal one. Think about now. I, I guess yeah, Dark Souls is about as good as it gets on that cooperation. You're gonna learn a lot. Kind of like a house project or something. Yeah, like, all right. yep. Like Do if, we communicate? You can build Ikea furniture together, they say. I did love, and I, I'd always forget about it because I have the memory of a goldfish. It's something that you, you had tweeted that like you had bought the new Pokemon Snap and hid it <laughs> in your house. And so every like couple weeks, there would be an update like, hey, my husband still hasn't noticed this poster. Mm -hmm. Let me like paint a picture here. We play Magic the Gathering a lot. We have a huge kitchen table specifically to play Magic the Gathering and other like Arkham Horror and big big games that take up a lot of space. So we're out there all the time. Immediately next to that table is the mantle where that poster was. So it's not like it was in some abandoned part of the house where he was never going to see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was sitting within arm's reach of it for, what did I say, 83 days? That's nuts. Something like that. And when he walked over finally to see it, because that day that he saw it, I was going to put a, a full piece of paper that just said, 
dude <laughs> for him dude. to like to just draw his attention. But when he finally saw it, I had put giant yellow or orange arrows pointing to the poster. And when he walked over, he wasn't like, what's this poster? He was like, why are there arrows over here? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, dude, I'm no detective, but that seems like a clue. (laughs) But he finally found it. Now, have you guys played it since then? Yes, we have played it. I would say the pictures that he has taken are like 1% things we actually need and 99% Bidoof. (laughs) Because Bidoof's the best. (laughs) I New Snap, I bought it like first day, super nostalgic because I just, I played the crap out of the original game back in the day. I don't know, something in me just didn't quite like it as much. I'm like, is this boomer brain? I don't know. See, he liked it, and he was excited that it was longer than what he remembered the original being. Mm-hmm. I had never played the original, so to oh, me, really? this one was great. <laughs> you know, I like this one a lot. Mm-hmm. Still need to go back and finish it. I just haven't picked it up again yet. Maybe that's why. I just gotta actually sit down. Yeah, and it's it's hard to tell what actually, like, finishing it is, right? Oh, yeah, true. It's different for different people. I imagine, because we haven't finished it either. Maybe there's, like, a, <laughs> a specific ending. But I'm imagining you can make it through without getting, like, diamond on all of the pictures. Oh, yeah, I, I'd be all right everything. with that. That seems like crazy replayability. Essentially, whatever they get all of the areas, I think, would be my good to go. Right, mm-hmm. What games are you currently kind of pushing and interested in? Because, like you said, I, I've seen you kind of jump around to different games and categories. I'm always keeping an eye out on more artsy games that are coming out. Uh, and I work as an editor on some games, so obviously I'm keeping an eye on those too. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But there's... I'm so excited. There was a game announced... I imagine it was at E3, I can't remember. Uh, called... The Gecko Gods. <laughs> it's, it's just... It's this a already really screams cute right up your alley. Right? It's just a really cute lizard just running around and doing platforming. And I'm like, this is made for me. He can... You know, he's a gecko. He can climb on walls and do, like, upside-down stuff. And seems really fun. You know, it, it's like the smaller games. Like, there's also this one where you're, like, a cat in the city or something. Yeah. And I can't remember what it's called. But that either. was like the game that stood out to me the most. I'm like, why is this what I'm interested in the most? Mm-hmm. But just, just looks a sucker for fun. things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a confession. I had never played The Last Guardian. And I just kind of think cause, because of CJ's podcast, actually, that I wound up finding like your channel and everything. And now mm-hmm. I've seen that whole game probably at least 10 times now. <laughs> I'm like, this looks really comfy, but I don't know if I'd ever want to speedrun it. Yeah. Last Guardian is like the pinnacle of you need to be a certain kind of person in order to enjoy this mm-hmm. kind of speedrun. It's like Pathless. Yeah, you have an AI companion, but he's programmed to basically just do what you say. Um, Yorda in Eco. Again, once you kind of get over how she works, she's relatively easy to understand. 
Trico is an entirely different beast. No pun intended. <laughs> you get punished for trying to make him do things sometimes. And it's all yeah. in the effort of trying to make him be realistic, like an animal. An animal doesn't always listen to you. Sometimes an animal ignores you out of spite. Like, you know. That's what I love concerned. about it. Like, AI in some games just seems like it can mm. be terrible. Even if it's, like, an enemy or, like, just some NPC that's supposed to mm -hmm. function a little bit. And that's why so I to think depend that... on the whole run is crazy. Yeah, I think that that's why people have such varying opinions about The Last Guardian. There's not really people who are like, eh, this is an okay game. It's either this is a masterpiece or I hated this. And it's what expectations they had going in, right? If you go in with the expectation that Trico is an animal and he's not going to listen to you, and when he doesn't listen, you're like, uh-huh, that's funny. He's being a goober. <laughs> but if you go in with, like, I want to finish this game, then you're like, ugh, he's not listening. Like, I've told him to do this 30 times, and then you get really frustrated. Yeah, that, so... that's an interesting. It's a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a game for everybody. I would suggest that everybody at least take a look at it and see if it's something that interests you. If you like, you know, heavily story-driven games. But... I, I respect that it's not everybody's cup of tea, just like, you know, Final Fantasy VII isn't everybody's cup of tea. True. I'm, I'm still trying to rack my brain together. Sorry, I kind of skipped right over this. I was interested. What's, uh, what is editing games like for you? What, what does that consist of? Cool. Yeah, so usually I'm the person that makes sure there's no typos, like, in the Steam page for the game. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll edit, like, press releases and, like, newsletter blasts for kickstarter games things like that make sure that there's no errors is it just um, like one parent company or do you just kind of freelance around like hey freelance you probably need me mm -hmm, that's exactly what i do they usually see a kickstarter game that i want to back and i back it and then i contact them and i'm like hey need this oh that's actually a really good idea it's it's a lot of fun and the most fun to me of course is actually getting to edit like the in-game text, mm -hmm. right? Not just because I get to see the entirety of the game before it's out, but just it, it feels nice to have contributed in some substantive way to to a game. And I do that with board games too. Definitely didn't think you'd need, you know, your resume for this interview, but so what kind <laughs> of stuff have you worked on in the past out of just out of curiosity? So there's currently a game. Take my and of course, no offense to Halberd here, but take my participation with a grain of salt. Sometimes Halberd remembers to send me their press releases before they put them out. Other times they don't. Oh. <laughs> but um, later on, when the game actually gets to the point where we have in-game text and everything, check mm -hmm. out Nine Years of Shadow by Halberd Studios. Um, that's one that I'm working on. And uh, if you're into board games, Isle of Cats, The City of Kings of Good those name. I have worked on. That was a lot of fun. City of Kings is a lot of Gloomhaven. If that's something that you're into. Isle of Cats is, is much easier. Very fun. You basically just have a boat. You have cats that you have to rescue and they're like Tetris shaped pieces and you gotta fit them all together. And if cats are the same color next to each other, they're like a family and you get more points. It's really simple, really fun. I kinda, I like that stuff. Every now and then just very easy. Yeah. Going on the 
the brain. And uh, just for a little bit more background about you, so how old are you? 28, I think. Oh, God. I think? Oh, no. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I think yep. after like 21, so like, all right, does it yep. matter anymore? Yeah. Hopefully not 30 yet. Pretty sure. <laughs> and you kind of uh, allude to already, but what's your living situation like for all the reptiles? Do you have a house? And you have a house, yeah. Can't imagine, it's, it's... but any roommates? Stuff like that. No. It's just me and my husband and a bunch of reptiles and a dog. Oh, you do, do have, have a, dog. a dog. Yes, his name is Bryce. We call him Dog. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of just wall-to-wall -wall reptiles, but in a tasteful way, not in like a hoarder kind of way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I could imagine you know, that's only two steps away, but... <laughs> their enclosures look nice. You know, so it's it's more like having... Mm -hmm. What do you call those things? Um, you know, some people make like little orbs that have moss in them to just put on their oh, desk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like that, but just big all across our walls, right? And of course, there's reptiles living in them. What's uh, what's your husband think it, like of the streaming and speedrunning stuff like that? He was the one that encouraged me to do it. Well, he wasn't the one that encouraged me to speedrun. He was the one that encouraged me to stream. Been speedrunning since like 2012 or something, but wow, long time. I just never posted anything. I wasn't really interested in posting anything. Um, that would have been so, back in what speedruns live, or before that. See, even? That, I don't Speed even demo. I don't even time? remember. Yeah. I was just like, oh, somebody, you know, I bet somebody can do this flight level faster in Spyro. I'm gonna change that, you know, and I'm gonna be the fastest one. But then I never did anything with it. Except for kept videos that I probably don't have anymore. It was very yeah. fascinating to me because I like to get a little bit of just background before I do these. I was checking out your YouTube channel, and it goes oh, back. You went all like the way back, didn't you? Another history, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So is the like Sunny Flight the flight levels kind of your introduction to speedrunning? Yes. Yep. Sunny Flight on um, the original Spiral, which I don't mm -hmm. think is on my YouTube channel. But it might be. I saw uh, a wonderful, very for its time recording a sunny flight on a CRT with what maybe a VHS camera. I... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, that this was is the one. Beautiful. This is actually why we need the internet to preserve moments like this. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a long time ago, uh, and then you probably had to wade through about like six years of acupuncture videos. <laughs> I got a little enamored with like the suction cup thing. Uh -huh. Like, what is going fire on cupping? here? Oh, yeah, fire cupping. Yeah, like, that looks so terrible for you. But like, I imagine maybe it's fine. It's really good for you. You'll see um, a lot of Olympic athletes. Even they'll have, you know, these circular marks on their back, and that's just from fire cupping. Really? It improves the circulation huh. to your muscles. Does it hurt? <laughs> A lot of people think it feels good. It feels like a very strong hmm. massage. Now, but yeah, I I contemplated like making those videos private so that my my YouTube could just be like a more consistent mm -hmm. thing. But I've had multiple people tell me like it's kind of interesting, and I'm like, okay, fine, just whatever. Watch them if you want. <laughs> it is. I, I don't know why. I, I just was going down the rabbit hole. And like, oh well, oh my, look at all this. It's so diverse too. It's like. Here's a, 
a song. Uh, yeah, well, here's so the explanation. Some college things. Yeah, the explanation for why some videos just seem out of place. I was making a documentary on behalf oh, of the Asian Studies Department. Oh, okay. So they needed just random clips of a bunch of Asian culture stuff, which is why you have Chinese people dancing in the countryside. <laughs> and then just, you know, two videos later, a water wheel. <laughs> like, that was the best way for me to store the videos mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, it makes sense. Especially back then. Mm -hmm. I, I struggle with file storage now, so to have <laughs> videos back then, oof. And I am super excited about this. So you said you went to college. Uh, what did you wind up majoring in? I double majored in Japanese and linguistics. And as I know it, you did some time actually in Japan, right? I've done many times in Japan, yeah. Oh, I guess. Uh, like how long in total for you? Uh, two years. Plus, like, tiny little stints here and there. I was... Tiny little stints being, like, you know, a couple weeks to a couple months chunk. Oh, really? So you're going back and forth? Yeah. Oh, that sounds kind of hard. I mean, that's not a short flight by any means. No, it's like 14 hours or something. Oof. I, was, I actually just moved back, like, last October or something, but... I was living over in Japan for like three years, and I miss it every day. Yeah. Like, oh my god. It's, it's something else. It's tough not to miss it. And Husbando lived there longer than I did. He worked for a law firm over there. Oh, did you guys um, know each other over there? Or did you no. meet in the U.S.? We met in the U.S., but he used to work at a law firm there, and then he also did Jet for three years, I think. Did Jet? Jet, as in, like, the Japan Exchange oh, teaching oh, yeah. program. So he was a teacher for a little while. Shows how much I know about him, but I don't <laughs> know how long it was. <laughs> eh, you at least know but, what happened. That's, yeah. that's the important part, right? He's lived there longer, but I've kept up with the language better. You happen to know, like, is there something that just drives at you? Like, you know what? This is one of the things I really... About Japan? Mm-hmm. So we live in a actually fairly Japanese demographic area. Oh, really? Which is really nice because we can go get sushi and it's actually really nice sushi, you mm -hmm. know? Like, we have access to things like udon and shabu-shabu and stuff that you might not... You didn't have such a high population of Japanese people, like, actually having Japanese culture-centric stores it's really great so i miss the food a lot because it's easy to be like i want sushi and then sushi makes you think of like kaiten sushi the the merry-go-round sushi i'm and trying to like, well, imagine i think i know what state you're in probably and, and i don't think i know anywhere like that and I, i've got a lot of family up there really? like, i can't think of Anywhere. Yeah, like I would go as a kid every summer and stuff like that. There's one like little epicenter town that's uh okay. Here's here's do some I definitely I don't want to dox you, you by care. any means. No no no, but do some detective work if you truly care. One of the main characters from Detroit Become Human 
lives, or rather was born in, this Japanese epicenter city in my oh. state. <laughs> so there you go. Dang it, that's been on my bucket list games to play. So good. And that's probably all I will say, mm -hmm. uh, since I don't want to spoil you. I enjoyed it. That, I, is, that is that. I have it downloaded, even. Like, I, I love those cinematic-based games. They're just so easy, mm -hmm. uh, like, for my brain, and I enjoy it. But I would definitely say I don't know that why. Detroit... It's hard to get into, because you know yeah. you're committing a, a lot. For sure. Detroit, it's a game that you can tell a lot of thought was put into everything. The animation has a lot of effort into it, and the choices that you make lead to immensely branching paths that are all very exciting. I think they did a good job with it. Do you have, do you play other games like that? Like, did you play Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls? That kind of stuff? have them on the shelf, but have not played them. Really? What? Well, okay. So we have a big old stack of games. We can't mm -hmm. play games fast enough to to get through the stack. True. Actually, this we... is something I feel with speedrunning too. Do you, do you ever mm -hmm. feel bad? Like, okay, I could play new game, or I could play. <laughs> The Last Guardian for the hundredth time. Yep, that's exactly why I speedrun <laughs> because that's an excuse to play the same game for the three hundred and fifty seventh mm -hmm. time. This is a hit me deep. <laughs> I I don't know why, but always I'm like, oh, I should play this. I should play that, and I just find myself like, or I could you know, run Hollow Knight again, run Crash again, mm -hmm. do. Do it over and over and over? I'm lucky because the way that our day is set up, you know, I work from home running my own business, which means I set my own hours. And as I was telling you offline, I usually start working really, really early in the morning because that's just when I think best. So that usually means that sometime in the span of midday, I've been working for longer than my husband works, right? Because mm -hmm. I start early and then end when he gets home. So that means that I have a little bit of time during the day to myself where I can speedrun. I can fulfill all of my I want to play The Last Guardian for the 5,000th time during the day, and then together we play new games at night. So we have time for both. Oh, that's uh, kind of really smart. It's, it's very nice. And we alternate who plays games, or sometimes we'll play you know, together, like Dark Souls. He'll play for a while. If he gets frustrated, he'll give it to me. I'll play for a while. You know. We're currently playing Vigil the Longest Night, which is a lesser known Metroidvania. Sounds familiar, but I could not tell you anything about it. It's, you can definitely tell that it, it doesn't have the same level of polish as something like Hollow Knight, but it's charming in its own way. I'm I'm seeing a lot more. I think Hollow Knight kind of maybe struck it that like new Metroidvanias, people are really kind of sure. enjoying them. Mm -hmm. And when they have a I unique think, art style, it's it even better. Yeah, I think that Hollow Knight really reminded people what the genre is capable of. Mm -hmm. And so people are suddenly willing to give a lot of other things a try to, in hopes of chasing that high again of Hollow Knight. I've been seeing a lot of Ender Lilies. That game looks... Yeah. I don't know. 
be debated Very between Vigil and Ender Lilies. Ender Lilies is the one um, with the, the sliding combat scale, right? I think um, so. Just like Grandia. It's either Grandia or Lunar. Boy, I can't remember because I can't keep those games separate because we played them right after each other. <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, so this shelf, like, do you have a physical collection of pretty much everything you play? Yes, we prefer to do physical things over digital things. I do too, and I always feel like the minority in this, but just something nice about having a tangible item, it's so For great. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, Spyro as an example, can't run 80 dragons if you don't have the physical. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, uh, console 80 dragons. If you have the digital console version, you can't run 80 dragons because you can't backpatch to 1.0. I've had a lot of srt runners on here and it almost seems like everyone always says oh yeah pc is just the way is that something you ever thought about like switching to when i was still primarily streaming spyro i thought about it but i'm i can be competitive but spyro was not something i was ever super competitive in unless somebody takes my 80 dragons i will <laughs> roast you <laughs> but um so just moving over to a different console and having a new set of competitiveness was like, eh, I don't, I don't really need this. And I don't like to stream from PC, mostly because, I don't know, I just, I prefer consoles. Because I stream from my laptop. So oh, I would be playing Spyro okay. on my laptop at the same time that I'm streaming and I have to like manage chat and the game. Yeah, that sounds I don't like impossible. It. Yeah, I don't like it. So I, I try to avoid PC gaming when I can. I've seen people try and do that, where you just have like a a minimized game or like a windowed mm -hmm. game, and then have the chat on the side, and like I, that just seems impossible. Something's Very gonna struggle. Annoying. But with Spyro, have you ever, I guess, thought of returning to do like MBS or anything like that again, even on console? Um, I'm happy with my NBS time, but I think that BS. NBS has always been the thing that I come back to when I want to play Spyro. Mm -hmm. um, somebody took my any percent probably two months ago ish, and I'm <gasps> like, ah, eh, you know, I'll I'll get to it. <laughs> any percent seems I don't know. At, at least I kind of have more of the PC reference, but just the bugginess of it, and the sh yeah. short length. I'm like, ah, eh, I, I I couldn't see myself wanting to push it either. At this point, it's it's really brutal. And mm -hmm. I speedrun because it's fun. So when it comes to the point where I'm sacrificing my sanity in order to save two seconds, I'm like, okay, this is this is enough. And that's why I don't run the flight levels anymore. I was huge in running the flight levels for the first probably year that the game was out. Um, SRT, not the original. Mm -hmm. I was constantly fighting for road record. I would take it, and then Fro would take it, and then I would take it back, and Jordy would take it, and it was just constant. It got to the point where I spent three months grinding Wild Flight Ooh. for 0.1 second. I got it, then Fro beat it, and I was like, okay, no I'm way. Done. Can't Ugh. I like? There are so many more productive things I could do with my time. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always had major respect the time trialers, like. I lose a few seconds in a, in a split or something. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. 
they're competing yeah. like you said for that point one second it's like uh, uh i'm okay with sometimes that. sometimes you're competing for more than that because of that in-game timer in spyro oh, which will yeah. round you up if you're a certain distance from from half seas mm -hmm. you know so it's like ugh. but love the flight levels every now and then i still go back to them but it, yeah it got to the point where well, Spyro was facing two pixels too far to the right. Guess I'm done. Yep. You know. Reset. It's kind of not fun anymore. It's not like a super quick reset either. Yeah, you gotta crash, of... wait Ugh. for the load. I guess, yeah, since we're already kind of segway, let's, let's go into your speed running a bit. So whatever, I guess, motivated you to do that first flight level in Spyro and then really jump into speedrunning as a whole? So, I've always played video games just for the sake of being in a different, like, place, enjoying a different world from the one that I was in. That's why I favor story-based games and, like, artistic games so much. Um, and so for me, Spyro, Legend of Dragoon, and Shadow of the Colossus were the ones that I played as a kid that I was like, I could just be here forever. Eventually... You know, you get to the point where you know where every jam is in Spyro or can, and I did, literally draw an accurate map of the entire Forbidden Land from Shadow of the Colossus because all you do is ride around on aggro all day. Really? <laughs> and you realize that you want something else. So you start imposing challenges on yourself. Shadow of the Colossus, it was, let's see if I can go from one wing to the other on Avion, you know, without walking, but by dropping. Oh, trying to be cool and for for spyro it was well let's because i used to hang out in the flight levels a lot because you mm -hmm. could just fly around freely once you beat him once i was like well let's see how fast i can do this you know it was just another challenge that, that let me keep playing the game i guess yeah because i no doubt that anything i've run has added up hours that's become one of the most played things for me so that makes sense. Kind of extend the playability of it. Because mm -hmm. once you start doing that, once you're like, okay, I'm going to set a challenge for myself, then you have a goal. And then that automatically grants you more playtime when you don't meet your goal or when you do and you set another goal. So you have an infinite reason to continue playing because every time you make your goal, just make a different one. You know, a better one. What, uh, I guess, what is your goal right now? Your big goal that you're working towards? In speedrunning, just in general? Mm hmm. Sub 310, Last Guardian. That would be sick. It. Based on the tech that we have now, it would need to be a really, really immaculate run across all three and a half hours. Do you guys have a collection of, like, a community sob or anything like that? I have made a theory task. Oh. Which seems uh, very difficult on modern consoles yes, and stuff it, like that. It took me almost two years Ooh. to make. Uh, and it debuted last Christmas. And I have the goal of updating it a little bit every Christmas. Um, so, for perspective, right. First, let me clarify. Theory tasks, right? I can't task a PS4 game because you don't have the, the technology to do that. Right. And you can't really TAS Last Guardian anyway, because a TAS 
at least as I understand it, is you teach a program once to input. So that it does it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Exactly the way that you want. You can't do that with Last Guardian because Trico is an AI. He's never going to be standing in the same spot twice. He's going to do his own thing. Like, you can't, there's no consistency. The best we can do is a theory task where I take clips and cut them together as fairly and equally as possible to create the best possible run. Trico's AI is always perfect. You always make all the risky jumps and, and all that sort of thing. So my current world record for Last Guardian is... Oh boy, I don't... Do I have a 313? I think I have a 313. As far as I know, yes. Yeah. I remember. So 313, which was a really, really good run. My theory task is 252. So it's really? significantly better. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's significantly better. And I'm hoping, based on the developments that I've been able to make so far, mostly within the last month, actually, uh, that I can be a lot closer to 245 for this Christmas. I definitely, I wish you good luck. It's cool to hear that, you know, it's possible, but ooh, mm -hmm. does it not seem easy? It's, I'm just hoping it's for that tough. godly run for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like my sum of best is like a 305 or something, but realistically that's not going to happen. So you know, just gun for the 310 and maybe someday the stars will align. He didn't used to think that 313 was possible and here we are. So Yeah, true. As time kind of progresses, I mean, the theory mm -hmm. test sounds like so much work. That's incredible. I have a lot of fun doing it. It can definitely be frustrating. Uh, I was streaming just yesterday some task footage collection stuff where I was just doing the final fight of the game over and over and over again. Because with fights, you can't put them together halfway through like you can with other types of movement. Because... It's a bunch of armors. They're all AI things. They're all going to walk in separate places. Like, you can't just split it halfway and cut together all the good parts because it's not fair, right? Yeah. It just seems it wouldn't make it for a proper, like, oh, this is exactly. what can't happen. Like, I'm, I'm trying to put together something that, in the scope of a trillion years, like, this could happen. Not something that's just, oh, this would be cool if, like, haha, we just didn't get a phase or whatever. Or, you know, we have an excellent first phase and then an excellent second phase and we cut those together even though Trico's on one side of the room for, for the first part and the other side of the room for the next part. Like, that's not possible. I can't so remember. Does I, that game have, like, uh, save files that you can nope. reload to try and, like, regrind out a section? Nope. Oh, <laughs> Oh, brutal. that's going to make it even worse, even harder. Because, yeah, I mean, sure, I can make save states on a USB, and that's what I do. But oh, you can still, do that? Yes, but every time you fail, close the game, yeah, it's redo not the a save data, thing. load the game. It's, it's my baby, and I'm very proud of it, and I try to make it as fair and unbiased as possible. Like, I'll, I'm cutting two sections together, I will cut the boy at the same location, ideally taking the same step so that it's as accurate as possible, oh, wow. you know? Yeah, little details that I'm sure only you would notice, but I try. it is definitely <laughs> respectable. 
I have seen, uh, at least I saw Last Guardian was an ESA, and I think you've done a couple marathons of it recently, right? Yeah, I've done a fair number of Last Guardian runs. Um, I was on commentary for Usurpering mm -hmm. ESA doing it as well, which it was great to see it in ESA. I don't submit to ESA, so it never would have been there if right. Usurpering hadn't submitted it, which is great. Do you like to submit it as a game and showcase it? Definitely. I'm kind of a sucker for marathons in general because I, I like I've noticed supporting that. charity. Like, <laughs> when I first started like kind of following your channels, like she's doing a marathon every other day, it seems like. Yeah, there have definitely... My record is five marathon runs over the span of 36 hours. Are you serious? <laughs> that oh my was... God. Perhaps not a thing I would do again. <laughs> All the same but, game? Um, Spyro twice. Okay. Spyro twice, Pathless inside, and that must have been Spyro three times. That was 280 Dragons, an NBS inside, and the Pathless. I think you just feel like a broken record having yeah. to do the same commentary. Kind of. I guess you find uh, it also helps, find right? It out, you though. know, because mm -hmm. yeah, you know what you're saying at that point. Kind of learning more and more, and at least maybe just for my own, what I want out of things. But like most people aren't going to know your run, so how you do individually doesn't really matter. But it, the commentary is so important. If you can kind of showcase how cool that your game really is, or whatever, would... you know. Yeah, I would so much rather that, like, if I'm going to mess up Balloonist Skip in 80 Dragons, I would so much rather mess it up in some catastrophic way yeah. that's really funny. <laughs> or, like, Trico just doesn't listen to me. I would rather he just, like, yeet me out a window or something <laughs> right? that's absolutely goofy. <laughs> like, I don't care about what time I get. I just care that people have fun watching, you know? I keep waiting, uh, and this is so terrible to wish. I'm not wishing it, of course, but it is kind of funny, and I, I miss it the original time, but I've heard about falling down that hole in The Last Guardian yes. at the end. Yeah. That seems not fun, but it would be very funny. At the moment, I was just devastated because that was my like first time at the end game, and I'm on world record pace by like three minutes. Oh, it was the first so time I had ever been there. And then, you know, yeah, to go through the hole. And guess how much time the hole costs? Three minutes and ten seconds. Oh, God. So... It'd be a hard that, repeated section, for sure. Yeah, it, it was devastating at the time. But, of course, now it's just something funny to look back on. Do you think uh, maybe once you get that sub 310 that you would retire the game? No. I, no? I feel like Last Guardian is here to stay. Last Guardian is the only run that I have run where I never feel fatigue. Really? It's, it's weird. I've been running Last Guardian since the inception of my Twitch channel, mm -hmm. which would have been around the time Spyro came out, so late 2018. Um, that's how long I've been running it on stream. And the only time that it ever went away was because I thought people didn't like it. Hmm. It turns out that actually they adore it and it's one of their favorite things that I do, which is why it came back. For a little while it was inside because I thought people liked that more. I've just never gotten tired of it. 
Everything else I'm like, okay, okay, I made my goal, I'm good with this. Ask Guardian. Find excuses to keep playing it. Mm-hmm. Which is why I do these like, let's just flip my OBS backwards and so the <laughs> controls are in I seriously did that. I love it was the challenge worst. runs. <laughs> it was the worst idea. Cause in my brain, I was like, okay, I'm gonna flip my OBS, like invert it, right? So it's like mirrored world in a game. But what my brain didn't comprehend until I started playing was that that meant that the controls were backwards too. Yeah. <laughs> is there a little bit of delay was... watching through OBS as well? Not for me, thankfully. Oh, my, that's good. My computer seems to handle it really well. Um, that I have never felt so burnt out in my brain as after I finished that run. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I can but get used to fun. those controls was fun and i still finished i think with like a 350 oh really which that's pretty solid really yeah yeah do you have I any did thoughts? white tower skip like with inverted controls you seriously <laughs> oh, we have I some just, clips oh, whoops, of it i accidentally pressed left when i meant to push a little bit right and just fall <laughs> falling yeah i'm pretty sure i have at least one clip that somebody took at that point on my channel it's called like I am me and I am a victor or something. I was I was trying to <laughs> psych myself speech, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to psych myself up for doing it. Those are the moments for sure. Do you have any thoughts on like longer categories versus like sub hour categories? Or is it just Very gameplay much sub hour. Oh really? For sub hour whenever possible. Like I sure. I Try I need a nuggie. To make as many Last Guardian categories as possible to make it accessible for people. And it makes me really sad that in a game like that, there just aren't really short categories. Uh, we have Windmill, basically, for people who want to do a little bit of Last Guardian. So that's like 15 minutes. But I, if I'm given a choice between a category that's 50 minutes and a category that's an hour and a half, I'll choose the 50-minute one. Unless there's something immensely appealing about the other one. Yeah. For sure. I'm, I mean, just time dedication alone is a big factor yeah. in that. I don't have... I, I have time during the day, but I don't have, like, a ton of time during the day. In order to make time during my workday for The Last Guardian, which on a bad day is, like, 3.40, um, I have to plan my entire week around it. And I have to organize my work around making that chunk of approximately three and a half to four hours on a Tuesday. So I just, I can't take runs that are that long mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Eco is pushing it two hours. Uh, Pathless is also kind of pushing it at two hours. I really don't think I can take anything more than two hours in addition to Last Guardian. It seems like you've kind of done that whole, the, the Team Eco collection. Do you have, like, any more love for Shadow of the Colossus versus Eco? I love Shadow of the Colossus as a speedrun. I don't like it. <laughs> and that's not to say that it's not an amazing speedrun and that the people who do it are just absolutely bonkers. It's just that the kind of tech that you use in that run is the kind of tech that I'm not good at. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's a really challenging run. It's bonkers to watch, and I highly recommend that people check it out. Um, but I want to do... We have a category on our extension board called Trecofecta, which is where you play Eco, Shadow Colossus, and The Last Guardian in a, in a relay. 
on Runner doing all three games. And Shadow of the Colossus definitely intimidates me the most. I feel fine with Eco. I feel fine with Last Guardian. Those are just me and my AI companions doing stuff. Shadow of the Colossus is like, oh yeah, I'm going to stand on this giant creature's leg and he's going to vault me into the air and probably <laughs> I'll land on his head, maybe. be wild. Yeah, it just it baffles me. But I love it as a game. It's a wonderful game. It was one of my core childhood games. I, I was fortunate, or maybe unfortunate, I don't know. I, I didn't play it originally, but when the remaster came out, I was like, oh, this is actually really solid. Yeah, for sure. I grew up on the PS2 version and didn't play the PS3 version, like the remake thing that comes with Eco, mm-hmm. uh, until I met my husband. And he was like, I don't have the platinum trophy for this game. And I was like, hold on. Gotta a get bro. the platinum I got trophy this. for the game. Come on. Got this for you. Like, this, this is going to be so easy. I was wrong. <laughs> PS3 version. <laughs> PS3 version just seems like Wander is covered in just, I can't believe it's not butter. Really? That bad? And he just, he's all over the place. If it's your first exposure to the game, you probably don't feel it. I was so used to the PS2 that it was mm-hmm. a real struggle. We still don't have that platinum. Really? You never uh, finished it? Yeah. What? Got way too frustrated. Got way too frustrated on Hard Time Attack Argus. But, and then, you know, the 2018, I think, 2018 remake is phenomenal, of Sounds course. Sounds about right. We're having a weird bug because I picked it up early and I think they fixed it. But it was just like the physics didn't work or like a boss disappeared or something. Right, uh-huh. What do you look for now in a speedrun, then? Like, any potential new games? Well, if it has an AI companion, I'm probably uh, giving it a favorable outlook. I look, though, like, let's just take, for example, Last Guardian versus Hollow Knight. Mm -hmm. Because I did try to learn Hollow Knight, and I say try on purpose. Yeah, bless Yeah, Last Guardian is very much... Get from point A to point B. Do that in a reasonable way. You'll be good. Hollow Knight is, you need to crystal dash from exactly this position, and if you do not, you fail. And not only do you fail, you don't get to try again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so if it has stuff like that, where consistently you're asked to make very, very specific don't necessarily want to say pixel perfect but you know what i mean very mm-hmm. specific stuff that you cannot continue the run until you get that correct that discourages me from from doing that because i just don't have the time to like practice that kind of stuff yeah makes last sense guardian you know last guardian making drawbridge skip for example which is really important and very precise doesn't mean that you have to do it exactly one way can do it a bunch of ways and still succeed, but it's still very hard. That's like the ideal place that I want to be. You know? There's nothing, again, against Hollow Knight. Once again, Hollow Knight blows my mind, and people like Emray, who run it, are just like, what? <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing with Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus is kind of in between Hollow Knight and Last Guardian. You have some wiggle room, but they're still, you know, they're doing super jumps and, and stuff like that that are predicated upon being in a very specific position and doing something at exactly the right time. And it's like, eh, mm. yeah, the inputs for Hollow Knight are kind of 
not fantastic as well. And I guess it's rated or related to your frame rate as well. So yeah. I, were you playing on and Switch? I, so I think that was part of the problem. I think that you can probably have a little bit more success with Hollow Knight than I did mm -hmm. on PC. But I played on a PS4. Oh, PS4. So, yeah, simple things like doing a down slash to pogo off of something was suddenly not as simple as just pressing the down arrow. Yeah. You know, because I was using joystick. And so then it's like less accurate and it just kind of feels froofier. <laughs> if that's if that's a word. So it's a... And I don't... I don't want to say that PC players have an advantage or anything, but I think that if I would have tried on PC, I might have been a little more successful. Oh, it's a it, when it straight up comes to your inputs and stuff like that, that's a definite advantage. Out about it, especially the sort of super precision that some things require. Mm. I've kind of just got big into Hollow Knight running stuff. What what category did you try to learn? Skills. Oh, really? Nice. I got. Eh, probably a decent like 25 minutes like i had the first 25 minutes down was however far you get when you get to that dark room that you have to navigate without the lantern yeah the dark room alone has kept me off of all skills at least for now yep i got to that and i practiced it for a long time and i got no better at it mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like okay okay <laughs> i think i'm done but I love Hollow Knight as a game, and yeah. I still occasionally come back and just, like, try to redo Pantheon of Hellenist and stuff like that. Because I was so bad at it, I guess this might be what makes me tick a little weirdly. I was so terrible at it. I was like, I need to do this. I am not going to let this game beat me. And I got to, uh -huh. like, I was learning it, and for any percent, you do Watcher Nights with only BS. Mm -hmm. And in my casual playthrough, I pretty much, I monkey brain, I was like, let me hit things with my nail. It was almost my only damage output, so I built for that, which is fine. But to mm -hmm. start playing the game, it's like, hey, your nail does nothing. Start using fireballs. I'm like, I can't do this. And I probably yeah. had to play the Watchers for like three hours before I didn't die 90% of the time. It's like very similar to how I felt, because I've always played in casual and like doing Pantheon of Hellenist and everything. Obviously, in order to beat Pantheon of Hellenist, you have to practice the bosses a lot. So I had all of these bosses ingrained with this like nail-centric combat. Then you go to the speed run and it's like, oh, you're just using Descending Dark all the time. Yeah, pretty or whatever. Much. <laughs> all these all these spells and I'm like, I don't I don't know the timings for any of this. I could learn, but there were just things that I wanted to do more, you know. Watching like the the M rays, Viz, Fireborn, mm -hmm. all those top runners, it, it's insane. I was like, oh, I play this game entirely wrong. Yep. But it's, it's cool. It's, it kind of opens up a new style. Yeah, and it's kind of second nature to them at that point. Yeah, just for like sure. it is to me with with Last Guardian. You know, people, I take for granted the times that I get in Last Guardian because those times are second nature to me. But it just is years and years of doing it over and over again. You do a, anything for years over and over again, you'll get better at it. It's a fascinating effect to me running and some that I, I've really enjoyed and that just kind of shows the time you put in is once you break a, a milestone, a, a barrier, it seems like you consistently you don't get go past back. that. Yeah, you don't go uh -huh. back. And it's so yep. fascinating to me. It's funny. And I wonder if there's like a little a little mental part of that too. Mm -hmm. You know, you, like for Last Guardian, that that 
final barrier is typically 330. Once you break 330, you've like broken into like the 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 golden center of this egg that is the last guardian speedrunning. Go back. And it's I wonder if it's just seeing that you have a 328 or whatever. And then your brain is like, oh, I did this thing like that. I can do that again. That was no problem. That helps, you know? Because even in a game like Last Guardian that has so much RNG, once you break the 330, you typically don't go back. So it's, it's crazy not just. To hear that, oh, I have a 313, and that 330 is like the, the big <laughs> barrier for sure. Yeah. Well, 320 remained my barrier for, for a decent amount of time. Then again, you know, I went past the 320. And didn't really go back. Mm -hmm. And now I consider, I consider a three twenty two to be, boy, what happened here? <laughs> you know, figure it out, boy. And we just did uh, a big race in our community, which is a bunch of people racing together for the Last Guardian. Because amazingly, we actually have enough people to do that. And I thought, you know, this is just a race. It's just for fun. I'm gonna have fun. And so I did the run tempting like a bunch of tass only strats that were almost guaranteed to fail but i just wanted to kind of goof around yeah why not i lost a ton of time i was dying all over the place and and that sort of thing and i still ended up with a 326 really so you know once like you said once you get past those milestones kind of don't slide backwards i tend to see that in a lot of things like even I don't know a good reference, but like maybe in skateboarding, I saw like somebody, I think it was Tony Hawk, had got like the first 1080 or something, and then everybody's mm -hmm. pulling out 1080s. And just in general, in, in running and stuff, a, a lot of people watch one person push a time barrier, and then several other people tend to do it as well. Yep. So the, the mental yep. side of it is insane. For sure. Uh, the example that came to my mind, which once again shows how I'm kind of niche in my interests figure skating same thing happens in figure skating for the longest time people couldn't do a quadruple lutz and then as soon as one person did it everybody else suddenly they can do quadruple lutzes which were previously <laughs> thought to be impossible so you know it's the same thing across a bunch of sports and stuff i guess just because of relevance and you know Tokyo and all that are you, are you a fan of the olympics you catching any of that I'm watching it from time to time, but honestly, I haven't paid too much attention to it. Um, I saw that Simone Biles withdrew and a bunch of Americans were salty, and I'm like, what is yeah, wrong with you guys? Yeah, I've read a lot about that on Twitter. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, much of the context for it. Yeah. I guess she's having, you know, her mental's just not there, which... Yeah, like, and in okay. the end, like... Are you going to go to the Olympics and do better? Yeah, like, right. Just let her make a decision. <laughs> As you're eating pizza on your couch, you're going to complain yeah, about her. Not exactly. To... Yeah. But yeah, I haven't really been watching too closely. I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, Hakuho Yokozuna in sumo was anticipated to do some sort of like nice traditional ceremony at the opening of the Olympics, and mm -hmm. he didn't get to for oh, whatever really? reason. I guess they decided not to do that, and that made a lot of people sad. Yeah, right? Especially you kind of start hyping it up and then like, eh, never mind. Sucks. Yeah, exactly. Takaho's getting ready to retire and everybody was like, oh, at least we get to see him in the Olympics, you know? And then he didn't get to do it. 
All right, I definitely have to ask about this. And it was so cool to kind of watch. You like hosted or was at least restreaming the sumo tournament. And yeah. that, that's so unique to me. Like I've never seen anybody do that on Twitch before. I'm and a huge fan. You know so much that it made it very engaging. And like, I don't really know sumo. I know they try to push each other out of the ring. Like, ah, I can understand the scoring system, everything, how it works. Give a really good insight. Is that something you think oh, you're going to do more of? Yeah, for sure. I tend to do one to two sumo streams per tournament, which happens every other month. Uh, it was a pain in the butt, if I'm being honest, to get permission, you know, yeah. because I had to, like, write a letter in Japanese. Thankfully, I have a Japanese major. Uh, write a letter in Japanese to, like, the NHK, and then they forwarded it on to the people, the Nihon Sumo Kyokai, who manage the sumo stuff, and then... I have to be like, hey, this is how many people I expect, and can I have permission to do this? And it was in the middle of COVID, so I wasn't even sure if my letter was going to get to Japan because yeah, of right. all the mail stuff. It was a pain in the butt, but I'm glad that people enjoy it. That is like the most somehow Japanese thing that you had to do a physical letter as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I contacted them via email and actually via Twitter first. Mm -hmm. I was like, can I do this? And they were like, send it to our office. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to send it to your office. From what I've heard from a lot of people that work there, like in the cities and stuff, Japan seems so progressive on so many things. But then mm -hmm. for some reason, like a lot of their business tactics are very Stone Age, like still sending Definitely. faxes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, wait, you yeah. guys have robots that do everything, but you don't <laughs> like a cell phone? Yeah, there's something apparently about a physical copy of something. Yeah. But, but yeah, sumo streams are a lot of fun. I guess how long did it take for them to get back to you? I would think this would be like, this isn't real, right? Some Americans trying to get <laughs> access to our our stuff? Well, it took it took two or three weeks for the letter to get there. Mm -hmm. So it, it took quite a long time to sort everything out. I'm not going to lie. Part of me might have maybe, if, just didn't come back and be like, eh, we'll risk it. It's not like they're going to really <laughs> DMCA me. They probably won't even know. Right, yeah. Especially because I'm so small. But How did you get into you can it? At least, you can at least try to do the right thing, right? Right. Um, how did I get into sumo? I lived in Japan for a bit in Hikone, which is in Shiga Prefecture. And while I was there... I was making that documentary for the Asian Studies Department. And I was like, I better go and see as much of Japan cultural stuff as I can. And so I went to see uh, ukai, which is like cormorant fishing, where they take birds that catch the fish for them and bring them back to the boat. Um, like, you know, kabuki, sumo, all that sort of stuff. And I saw sumo. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. It just something about it clicked. Yeah. It, and I, I was really, really, really enjoying it. And I ended up, didn't know or understand the significance at the time, but I do now. Akuho, the Yokozuna, is famous because of how many tournaments he's won. He's won more than any other um, oh. Yokozuna. And his inspiration, his mentor, the person that he wanted to be like, was the Yokozuna Taiho. And I happened to be there, unbeknownst to me at the time, on day 15, the final day, when he beat Taiho's record. Oh, that's and cool. now, 
yeah, like looking back, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I was there. But buying the ticket, I was just like, well, I guess I'll go on day 15 because this is the most convenient day of the week <laughs> for me. So it was it was a nice little surprise. But I just I went and watched it. It was great. I've been a fan ever since. Does your brain kind of register Japanese very fluidly? Depends on what I'm looking at. Um, I'm actually, I would say, better than average at kanji, mm -hmm. which I think most people struggle with. For some reason, I suck at katakana. Really? Which is, it should be the simplest thing, because it's just foreign words put into Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> and so you would think, if we have um, one person who submits to a couple of the marathons that I help with, who their name on the submission sheet is always in katakana and i always read it real slowly and i'm like fuadi star what and it's falling star like <laughs> <laughs> it takes me like five minutes it feels like those games hearing it where... the first time i didn't place it i was like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like those games where the words are separated in different ways but if you read it fast or slow it makes sense mm -hmm. That's what I have to do every time I read katakana. And my oh. husband just looks at it and he's like, falling star, what's your problem? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at this. So you think it would be easy. And because when I was in Japan, I wrote a paper in Japanese, like a, a thesis in Japanese, mm -hmm. on where all of these katakana words come from. Oh, really? Because like, it turns out that approximately like 1% of all katakana words are from South Africa. How did, how did that happen? Right? So it's it's very weird and very interesting. And so somehow I wrote that entire paper and I still just can't brain. <laughs> <laughs> you and know? what about like auditory? That, that, that's more what I was wondering. I mean, that is fascinating. Yeah, I'm, but... I'm decent at, at listening comprehension as well. Um, I'm not great at speaking. That's hard. My, my mouth just doesn't doesn't do it good. And I think it's the linguist thing. It's the editor thing. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure everything's like organized and right. So I end up just staring at you for like 30 seconds <laughs> while I'm putting the pieces together in my brain. <laughs> Meanwhile, my husband's just like, I'm going to vomit something out and you'll vaguely understand it. Yeah. It'll be okay. You know, and that's, that's the better way to do it. Like if you're learning a language and you want to learn to speak, well, do it like he does. Just say things. That's the better way. It's a... Uh... Definitely just trying seems like the better option, but it feels so yeah. embarrassing sometimes. It does, it, yeah. I I, I definitely thrive. Time. I thrive on written stuff. Like, if you need me to write a super formal Inkego business email, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm all over this. But if you want me to walk into a hotel and be like, hey, can you hold our luggage for a couple hours? I'm like, I don't. It's probably fine. We'll just take our luggage with us. It's no big deal. <laughs> you know, I'd rather not do it. This, uh, and maybe you can make sense of this since you're the linguist here. It, it, I, I don't know why. It blew my mind. I feel silly for it. But it was like the first week that I had moved to Japan. I had heard so much about this Coco's curry, which a little yes. overrated. It's good, but it's not like all that. I lived in a building connected to a Coco's curry. Oh, nice. Well, I had gone in and I just expected, I don't know, my, 
my brain was like, I'll be able to somehow make it work. Cause I'm talking like the first or second day I was there even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the lady that's working there, she's just speaking Japanese and I had zero comprehension at the time. But like, uh, in my brain, for some reason, wanted to reply in Spanish. I'm like, mm -hmm. this makes some sense for some reason. The, uh... Is it just something that's like, ah, foreign, must be, let me yes. resort to something that's not what I know completely, but uh -huh. I kind of know. Yep, the the part of your brain that processes language is like, oh, different language, okay. And then it didn't pick the language that it should have yeah. picked. Because it was so focused on different language that it wasn't like, okay, let's look at the context about which language. I made the wrong choice. Brain is weird. Yeah, the brain is super, super weird. Which is why, like, some people who have strokes that damage the language centers of their brain, sometimes they can speak one language fine, and then another language is, like, destroyed in the process. Oh, really? I didn't know that was a yeah. thing. That's terrifying. And there's, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the language processing center of your brain. So, like, some, some damage to that can cause you to speak. This really fascinated me. Um, one type of damage will cause you to speak in a way that your words like grammatically make sense, but they don't make sense in the conversation. So if you ask me, how was your day? I might respond with the dog is blue. <laughs> like that's a sentence that works in English, but it's not the right answer. Someone else with slightly different damage will attempt to respond correctly, but their words won't make sense. They'll just have like a string of nouns or something, you know, in response to your question, but they'll understand and they'll, they'll try to answer appropriately. So just minute little differences can, can make big changes in your, in your language parts. Do you think you're more, since you kind of have the background and stuff, do you think you're more apt to learning new languages? I think I'm more apt to using them well once I learn them. I okay. think that I'm slower that to learn them because I'm so focused on the details. You know, like, if I learn adjectives in Japanese, my immediate thought isn't, this is an adjective. My thought is, okay, this is an adjective. How do I use it as a predicate adjective versus as, you know, a modifying adjective to a noun? Can adverbs be used the same way that they are in English? And then my teacher is like, what are you talking about? Just learn the vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, you're butchering it. So I get a little too hyper-focused on details that don't matter at the moment. Yeah, I guess most people probably wouldn't even think about it. It's like, oh, that's just how it is. Yeah. Kind of need to analyze it, though. I guess jumping back to a little bit of your, your speed run, I suppose. Uh, how did you really get into streaming, and did you like it right away? I have to admit that I didn't really like it right away, but I think that's not necessarily a an uncommon thing, because when you don't have anybody watching you and you're just speaking into the void, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's kind of meh. But my husband was like, you should stream, because if you're going to be doing it, you might as well be doing it for other people. And I was like, okay, I guess. But realistically, the thing that made me stream was that Twitch was a free way to have VODs. <laughs> you know? Yep. So if I streamed to Twitch, 
I could just automatically have a submission video because I'm sure you saw because I know you dug in my YouTube that I used to for Spyro reignited it just have my camera pointed at the TV uh a method for sure <laughs> and I kind of got tired of trying to perfectly balance the iPad so that it was recording the TV <laughs> an iPad camera <laughs> was, too even better yeah and I was like I would rather just not do this and so I started streaming so that I could have submission videos and one thing led to another I realized like well a lot of people have player cams they say you should have player cams maybe I could just put more on instead because I don't want to be on cam and then people liked Mort and then I got better practice makes perfect I got better at commentary as well and then it just kind of grew from there have you ever done like a oh hey special occasion I'll actually use a, a webcam or has it stayed consistently yes I have done that once when somebody redeemed the like 70,000 chat points or whatever for a lizard hangout stream a reptile a lot. hangout stream. Yeah. It was, how, it was a it lot feel? of points. Is it not for you? It's... I don't like the way that I look on camera, so I was kind of like, eh. But, it was, you know, I had the reptiles. That made it fun. People really enjoyed it. Uh, I have a clip on my Twitch channel of me from that, so you can see me if you want. Uh, I was holding my tegu, which a tegu is like a giant four-foot lizard. I was holding him for the camera because people could request what reptile they wanted to see. He just, he yeeteth he straight ye out he of my arm. He, yes, he <laughs> yoked out of my arms. He was flying. It was great. Um, so I have that clip. And again, it makes me happy when I make people less nervous about reptiles. Mm -hmm. So the fact that people were able to see me with a big like boa constrictor around my neck and... I'm like, he's squeezing, but he's not hurting. Like, it's okay. He's not going to hurt me. Made them feel better. And that makes me feel nice, you know? I guess you have a four foot tall reptile. Are you tall person? Or is that like no. a good portion he's, of your size as well? He's startlingly close to me. I am not even five feet, so. Hey, shorty gang. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's quite long. Um, Sam, the boa, is longer than me. Six feet. That is scary, actually. <laughs> I, I don't know why something about it. It's just like, all right, yep, this thing could kill me. I mean, he squeezes about as hard as you would expect, like, a ten-year-old to be able to squeeze your arm. Oh, okay. So, if he starts, like, if you, and I said this during the stream, if you don't know what you're doing, don't have a, a snake around your neck, right? Probably because that's call. not a great place for them to be. But if you do know what you're doing, if a snake's around your neck and it starts to squeeze because it's trying to hold on, not because it's trying to hurt you, all you have to do is grab them by the tail and unwind them because they're, oh, really? they're pretty weak. Just like you hear, you know, you can hold an alligator's mouth shut and it's very easy. Um, just grab them by the tail. They have a really hard time exerting very much muscle if you just grab them by the tail and unwind them. You know, I didn't know that about the alligator, so you might save my life one day. <laughs> I've I've only heard it. I don't know how true it is that they're powerful biting down, but very weak, like opening hmm. up. Kind of, that's weird, you would think, right? Yeah, but I hey, mean, I guess how nature. strong are your triceps compared to your biceps? Mm-hmm. Don't need to open your mouth that much as an alligator, aggressively. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was fun to do a lizard hangout stream. Obviously, most people wanted to see Mort, and he was he was great. 
But I also I keep roaches that I feed to the reptiles. You keep roaches? Yeah, they're not mm-hmm. cockroaches. <laughs> so they won't like infest the house, but uh, it's much cheaper to keep them than it is to go buy them. It's like $10 to buy like a cup of roaches. Really? Dang. Yeah, it's really expensive. And now, you know, I have like a thousand roaches for free. Oh, did they just and... mate like on their own? And... Yep. You just... Oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, you just give them the little egg crates that they live in and toss a zucchini in there every now and then and they're good be... to go. I don't know. Kind of grossed out. Even though like you're the one keeping them and everything, like I wouldn't want to like physically grab them to feed to the, the reptiles, I guess. Sure, sure. It I've always been fine with bugs, so it doesn't really bother me. And I had um somebody asked in chat, like, hey, can you bring a roach out when I did that stream? I had a big old roach in Ooh. my hand just to, to show how big they are. But mostly the unsettling thing is just the noise they make. But, because like, they all are they, they scatter. No, no, thankfully. But they scatter if you like pass by them because they see your shadow, right? Oh. And so okay. <laughs> I just walk, I walk into the reptile room, and my shadow passes over them, and it's just <laughs> and this horrifying like <laughs> skitter, you know, as they all go and hide. Thinking about it now, is your house like a sauna? Because I imagine it's got to be pretty humid and a little warm, right? It can be a challenge because I like it really warm. I'm always cold. So to me, like the thermostat is currently set at 75. You monster. Well, 75 to me is like the bare minimum. Osbondo, I am super compromising for you. (laughs) (laughs) And if he gets really, really hot, he can turn it down to 74. Just until it cools down a little bit and then we turn it back up. But so it makes it easy to keep the reptiles. And you choose to live up north where it snows. Yes, which is, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I'm always cold. So it makes it easy to keep the reptiles' uh, enclosures at temperature. But it also, we did have to, you know, reduce the humidity in the house because it was uncomfortable and it was destroying things. So yeah. Electronics don't really like humidity. Yeah. So now we have it at a cozy, like, 30%-ish. Oh, that's it? I assumed, I, I don't know why, I just figured lizards need that super they do. humid. They do, for sure. In general, like, some things like bearded dragons don't, but um, the majority of my reptiles span somewhere along, yes, I need humidity. A gek basically requires that she be rained on. Oh. So I, I do that every day. And then... Oh, just like a spray bottle? Like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. Then the berries and raffellos, who require like 60 to 70% humidity, um, I built misting systems for them. Oh. So they're just on a timer and they just mist every like two hours or whatever. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. They have a little, their own little system. You don't have to completely yeah. manually control it. Mm-hmm. And I do still spend a pretty significant amount of time every day just around with their enclosures and, and stuff but that definitely makes it easier. Their lights are all on timers their misters are on timers Do they sleep pretty well? I, I don't know anything about reptile keeping but like when you sleep are they just out and you're like alright I can go to bed without worrying about them 
Berries are out, Sam and Casper, the two snakes, are out, and Gek is out because they're all nocturnal. Oh, but okay. Morty and Raffellos are asleep because they're diurnal, which means they're out during the day. Technically, if... Here's your linguist for you. If you'd like to learn a new word, crepuscular is what the berries are. That means they're active at dawn and dusk. Oh. Hmm. I've never heard that term before. Yeah, most people don't. <laughs> unless, unless you happen to be into crepuscular lizards. Muscular. Dig it. Sounds fancy. Mm hmm. I, I pinkied up a little bit while saying it. <laughs> I'm curious your take on this. I've, I, I've had this a bit as a recurring question because we've seen a lot of different interaction. But especially you did the, the devs react to your speedrun. What do you think mm -hmm. is a good relationship between uh, speedrunners and developers? I think cannot for the life of me remember what community it was and i wish that i could one community recently pointed out a piece of tech that they were concerned was going to get removed during a patch the devs kept it because it wasn't affecting casual players that makes me really happy because mm -hmm. casual players aren't going to be impacted by it who cares? You know, like, if you have a problem with the game crashing when a player is out of bounds, don't patch the fact that the game crashes. Because player, casual players are not going to be out of bounds. You would think. By nature. And if they can get out of bounds really easy, that's a problem. Sure. Like, fix that. Casual players come first. But think that the devs who listen to what would make speedrunners happy is good and should be encouraged because speedrunners just like when you have subsets of people that play your game right and it's not just casual people who play your game for the first time that you need to think about you have speedrunners you have People with disabilities who need accessibility settings in the menu like there's a bunch of categories of people that ideally you look out for some of them are more important than others you know you should fix accessibility settings before you worry about what you're doing for speedrunners but you know yeah for sure i've uh i've seen a lot of good and bad examples sadly within even my kind of year of doing this and so i i'm personally in favor of when they have a good like an actual vocal relationship which stuff right. like uh in ratchet and clank insomniac has been great with them but then like in crash for example toys for bob they they also did one of those dev reacts and then they put huh. invisible walls all over the place to try and make right. it so people couldn't do it like okay right. that i thought that was super bad take so i i do not give toys I... for bob a lot of love yeah, I would agree that that you don't ever really want to feel like the devs are somebody that you have to not tell things to. Yeah, right. So, yeah, in the pathless, obviously, they were super stoked to hear about about things that we could do, and they were really excited about it. And they knew that some things were going to be used for speed runs. You know, they told me so in the the IGN reacts thing 
they were like, well, we knew that this was going to be a problem, but it was too much else to fix it that we were like, yeah. it's okay if people do this. It wasn't game breaking or anything. So that's how we get the bird to not be on fire by resetting. <laughs> that's kind of awesome. And that was a so yours was unique in that you actually were watching it through with them. Do you yes. still like kind of communicate with those devs at all? They're very nice. Um, there's two Discord servers for Giant Squid. There's the one like specifically focused on speedruns. Then there's just the general Giant Squid Discord. And they're always super communicative with anybody who wants to talk to them. Uh, oh, Azama, awesome. who runs Eco, primarily Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, they literally changed things in the game because Azama was like, hey, I found this thing. Is this what you intended? And they were like, no, thanks. <laughs> you know? So they don't mind just receiving communication from random people and just chatting with them, you know? I, I guess to, to put a nice bow on things, uh, did you, I mean, because you have your, the background you're talking about, you wind up, I guess, finding a lot of just kind of homies in the general in life, a speedrun community from going through college and stuff like that. I meant to ask this a while back, but. Sure. Well, college, and I did go to grad school as well, um, oh. but both of those places... I still tended to kind of be kind of a loner. In in that case, it was because I had so many majors and things to do, and I was working and everything. I didn't have time for a lot of community stuff. But the majority of the speedrunning friends that I've made have been as a result of streaming, which is a positive benefit that I, when I started, I didn't really anticipate ever happening. You know... I think a lot of streamers probably are like, why would anybody watch me? Then suddenly you make friends and you make friends with their friends and you raid people and you build this nice little network of people. I am still in contact. I'm one of the like co-managers of a gaming con in Indiana that is a direct result of friends from college. So do, like, your uh, real-life mutuals kind of know about your online presence? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's They're cool. free to hang out whenever they would like. Sometimes they do. I always recognize them in chat. And struggle to not say what their names are. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that community aspect definitely is something that kind of kept me going and made me really fall in love with the whole Twitch ecosystem. It's almost mm -hmm. crazy, and I don't care to admit how much time I spend on Twitch almost every day because of it. I wish that I had more time to actually like watch the people who watch me. I feel mm -hmm. bad because I don't, I don't have the time to like. I barely eke out the time to stream. Yeah, for sure. Let alone watch people, but I try to hop into people's streams whenever I can because it makes me feel happy when they're with me. So I'd like to think that they feel happy when I'm with them too. I think it's pretty understandable. A large demographic of Twitch is, you know, not actively employed or doing stuff full time. So you definitely, mm -hmm. it's understandable having a life. I'm, yeah. I'm in a lucky transitional period right now where I just got off of finishing working for a long time. So taking a little break and I'm about to mm -hmm. school full time. So we'll see how that changes my schedule. Yeah. But 
And I think just like simple things, like in my Discord, we have a channel called The Mortal Realm, where it's just spamming more emotes. That's all you do. <laughs> and I love on the surface, Discord stuff like that. <laughs> on the surface, it's just goofy, right? But in reality, it's a very easy way for people in my community to be like, I'm here, even though mm. they don't have the time. It's just as simple as popping in and posting like a Mortpog or something. And it's like, I'm here. I'm still engaging. I'm happy to be here. Serves another purpose besides just being. Yeah, um, more than just a like bathtub of memes. Mm-hmm. We actually, and this is just, it was kind of dumb, but I think it's nice when every Discord has like that thing. It, there were just a bunch of people who were AFK in my VC. I was like, oh, you damn kids get off my lawn kind of thing. And so we just created the lawn where by default you are muted and you will just hang out <laughs> muted. And you can type yeah. in the, the VC, like the actual text portion, but it's mostly just people putting people blankets and stuff like that. Right. And it's yeah, just kind just... of become a comfy thing. Right. It's just you're there with other people. Just like, you know, we should normalize sitting in the same room as somebody and not doing anything with oh. them. I love that, actually. You know? So that's literally just what it is. You come into the mortal realm, you're here with all these other people who just have armfuls of more emotes. You just throw them. You don't have to talk. As a matter of fact, you don't talk in mortal realm. We don't... Like, <laughs> no Nobody text ever allowed. posts text. It's just emotes. But you're there, and you're with everybody else. And just kind of on that realm of community, how is the communities for the games that you run like is last guardian i imagine fairly tight everybody kind of there yeah. for each other yeah uh, de- especially with last guardian with it being so rng heavy you know we are all very much like super hype whenever anybody does almost anything <laughs> you know we're we're very close with each other um it's not too big as you might expect but the Last Guardian community isn't necessarily separate from the Team Eco community, which includes Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. So it's nice that in that sense we're all together. And yeah. you'll, you'll find people who never run Last Guardian, but who run Shadow, who you get a PB in Last Guardian and they're like, oh, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> so they're it's all, they're they're, all very They're friendly. very similar, but they're not at all similar at the same time. Anybody who runs a game by Fumito Ueda is going to be happy when you PB in a game mm-hmm. made by Fumito Ueda. Like, there's just something about his games that, that it's like, you deserve this PB. Great job, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I am getting close to finishing up here. Do you have any other notable hobbies that people might not know about? Notable hobbies... I like sailing. Or just things you're passionate about. Yeah, I like I like sailing. Really? Like boats. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of people don't know that about me. Um, when you I have was a in boat? high school, I do not have a boat. Oh. When I say boat, I mean like Pirates of the Caribbean type boat. Oh, nice. Tall ships is what they're called. Um, when I was in high school, I would spend my summers living on a tall ship. Living? What? As long as if you work, it's free. Oh. So I worked a lot on boats, 
And I love boats. Boats are a safe and comfy place for me. Even though to the majority of people, you go on a tall ship and actually it's kind of really cramped. And you sleep in hammocks and one toilet for 50 people. And Yeah, I'll be honest, that doesn't sound <laughs> wonderful to me. That sounds yeah. actually kind of bad. Yeah, I, it's, it's a thing for certain people. But for me, it's just, it's real cozy. And I love it. Um, my favorite place was up. Here I go into boats, right? So the, the horizontal things that the sails attached to are called yards. Uh, standing up on the yards while the boat is sailing is just like my favorite place to be. And I really, really miss that. It's just, there's no other feeling like it than just standing up on a yard wow. while the boat is rocking back and forth and just being like the wind in your face and the smell and there's, there's nothing else because you're just in the middle of the water. It's just lovely. It's got to be required, right? Like you have to sing shanties while you're up there? Oh yeah, we would sing shanties. We had one one person on the boat who had I don't know what they're called. They're like the they're like accordions but tiny. Oh, um. So they're not full size accordions. Basically, they're like fit in the palm of your hand, each hand. She had one of those, and she had a fiddle. That was like more than enough to get all sorts of shanties going. How do you find yourself in in this situation? I I don't think I even knew that they still make boats like this. (laughs) Well, usually they don't make boats like this anymore. The boat that I was on is called the Flagship Niagara. It was it makes home port in Lake Erie, which was close enough to where I grew up that I could just go there. And literally, this is how it happened. I read a book called The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle about a girl who had to learn how to live on a boat in like the 1800s or something. I was like, this sounds really cool. I like boats. So then I went to the flagship Niagara, and I, uh, Wesley Harrison was the captain at the time, and I was like, Captain Wes, hey, I like your boat. Can I sail on it? He was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that was just, that was how it went. I done. And then I, was, then I was on the boat. So. I take it you don't uh, get seasickness then. No, I don't really get seasick. You can... Avoid seasickness by looking at something fixed, usually the horizon. Uh, so it's so someone you're without on... seasickness would say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and usually after a day or two, you get your your sea legs, you know. Yeah, and you don't you don't feel it anymore. That's what uh, they plus, say. I'm not sure I believe it, but plus you sleep in hammocks, which Oof. prevent you from rocking back and forth because oh, the hammock right will stay in place. Or the whole thing uh, is so. so. Everything moves around it, right? So it makes it it makes it better. But Niagara has a bunch of carronades. We would sometimes shoot them, and that was fun. Oh, oh what, what is that? Carronades. They're kind of like cannons. So we didn't shoot cannonballs. Common misconception: we would not shoot cannonballs. Those could hurt somebody. Be but cool, we would still. But... It would, but we would still shoot them with the appropriate amount of gunpowder. Shoot a cannonball. And the carronades were meant to shoot 32-pound cannonballs. They were the big heckin' boys. And then we had two long guns that would shoot tiny little balls instead. So ear protection is what I'm imagining, because otherwise that, oh, the tinnitus would be real. Ear protection and lots and lots of training. 
Because straight up, if you stand behind one of those things, and it when it shoots, it goes backwards, right? Oh, that's got to be so heavy. Yeah, you, you get stand rocked. behind one of those, and it hits you, you're dead. Like, that's oh, just, you're dead. You're dead. Wonderful. It hits you with such force that you are probably horrifically injured. And so lots and lots of training. Make sure that we all knew what was up with those. Not dying only certain is people. Sweet. Yeah, so certain people were, were the only ones who were on the gun crew. They couldn't train everybody. In what context did everybody need to be trained? Exactly. <laughs> to, to be on the gun. Like, all right, I hear it once. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. It made an impressive column of smoke over the water, though. So we would sometimes do it when we were coming into a city. I know you say you don't have too much free time, but are there any games that you have no real desire to run, but you enjoy watching? Hollow Knight. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I will ever pick up another <laughs> Hollow Knight uh, speedrun again, but I adore watching people do it. Um, I'm trying to think of what I usually watch people do. Like Shadow of the Colossus, again. I'm going to have to learn it, but it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's real fun to watch people do that. Mario is always really appealing. I would never, I would never forge my way into that. Yeah. It's really interesting to watch. Mostly just like games where I'm like, that was fun, but I'm good. Yeah, I, I can, you know, that for so sure. Things like Hades is like really fun to watch. Um, I have to think of like everything we play. Fire Emblem is fun to watch. We just finished playing through Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn again, and I'm I'm good on Fire Emblem. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't need to come back to Fire Emblem for a while because as for Husbando being himself, everything is on the hardest possible difficulty. Yeah, that's the the real way to play. You got to respect mechanics that way. We beat both of those games on Maniac difficulty, and it's like, Oof. are you satisfied, bro? Because we spent like 120 hours doing this. Yeah, actually, for Fire Emblem, I would say I would change my mind for that. Something like a Halo, I can understand. You can just kind of like stand back, but just getting like insta critted and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, all right, yep. well, this sucks. Replay. Yeah, and for good or for ill, when you play on the highest difficulty, at least in Radiant Dawn, can't save in the middle of a battle. Yeah. So it's like, well, I guess I'm going to be here for another 45 minutes getting to that point again. Ugh. Awful. But we did it. Congrats. Now, <laughs> your sense of pride and accomplishment. That's right. Was it worth it? Mm, Maybe. He <laughs> <laughs> had fun, so. And... Are there any maybe underrated streamers or runners that you'd like to kind of give some attention to? Oh, geez, there's so many. Who are the people that I raid? I raid Weird Romance a lot. He's he, they, she, gender fluid. Um, our lovely Bluebird that streams a whole bunch of fun games. And this guy are sick, although uh, this guy are sick is just uh, having a baby in the next couple days hey. when this is recorded, so I oh, think wow. they will probably soon, not soon. be streaming for a while. But, let me think. Let me see who's streaming, like, right now. <laughs> Pick out some people. Um, 
Oh, it's like nobody that I know. Sad. Um, Helix13. Amazing monkey ball runner. Torpedo. You probably know Torpedo if you know Ratchet and Clank. Uh, um, maybe. I'm pretty real. rookie into it. So like Dilwingo and them. Oh like, yeah, sure. Dilwingo is, is around all the time. Um, oh, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. I killed, of course. Azama, we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Azama runs Shadow of the Colossus. Conception, SR, runs Bug Snacks. You know, I've seen his name around a lot. Stuff. I think he's been doing crazy marathons with Bug Snacks yes. as well. Conception is like the Bug Snacks marathoner. That game looks so goofy, but so great. I don't know. I need to it actually play goofy. it. It was real goofy. Yeah, I picked it up and played like the first little bit on stream, and it was, it was definitely some goof going on. <laughs> but this about wraps it up for me. That's all I have for you. Thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. Where can people find me. you? Uh, you can find me everywhere. I am ubiquitous. <laughs> um, that's kind of a lie. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Honestly, even Reddit, Twitch, a bunch of places as Sable Dragon Rook in all of those locations. Um, for the places where I'm not Sable Dragon Rook, uh, you don't get to know those. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.